You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 200. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. We are at episode 200. <laughs> if I was on like a television set, we'd drop balloons from the ceiling. A marching band would come in, a la Odessa, you know, at the Coachella. It would be really ridiculous. It would be awesome. We'd just fly in butterflies and, and, I guess what else would a butterfly do but fly, chilling, sitting butterflies? We are at episode 200, and clearly I'm giddy. I made no sense right there. I'm bringing in butterflies. We don't know where this episode's going to go. And here, I'm going to be completely honest with you all. I have been thinking about this episode for like two months because I noticed back then, um, and I started charting out the the story arc for where these episodes were going to go, that episode 200 was going to land on the 16th anniversary of my mother passing. And here we are. To say that I'm excited for this show would be an understatement. Um, it is the 16th um, a day, 16th death day that I have um, honored my mother's memory. Um, may you be splendid and amazing in whatever life you are living now or whatever realm of reality you may be in, Mother. Uh, she was fantastic. I have definitely discussed in the past that as the years have gone on, I have absolutely positively put a very forward momentum on remembering her and thinking about her with rose-colored glasses. Um, not everything was perfect. No human is. Um, certainly uh, faults were had, amazing things were had as well, you know, to look back on my childhood um, fondly as well as I can, as you know, any human could and see where she, you know, did exceptionally well. She did some amazing, amazing things. She was doing the best she could at the time that she was in and, you know, with Crohn's happening when she turned, I want to say 29, uh, it was in 1984. And since I was born in 1976, I was eight and she had me when she was 20, so yes, that would put her around 29, I would say. Not important. What is, is that, you know, she survived a lot. The Crohn's ate her up, no intestines, using a colostomy bag to go to the bathroom from 29 till her death. Uh, it was a, would be tough for anyone to wrap their head around, let alone coming from a, a bloodline of addiction and depression and just all those other things. I think she uh, was marvelous in her ability to cope. Um, she definitely, um, you know, let it be known that when we were kids that, you know, she survived those 20 some odd surgeries in those first couple years strictly just because she didn't want her children to be raised without a mother. And I'm just so honored to have had her as a mom. Um, so much about who I am today can be drawn directly back to the way she raised me. Uh, for better or for worse, sometimes I get, um, there's certainly some things I'm still healing through, um, you know, just as far as emotional and intelligence raising goes. And, you know, we've talked about that before. I believe that we're an emotionally unintelligent species raising <laughs> emotionally unintelligent children. And then the cycle continues. 
Um, but my love affair for music is directly correlated with her love affair for music and sitting down there in the living room, um, out there in Ogleville, uh, she would just play her vinyl, um, over and over and over again for me. And she had these amazing stories about what Tom Petty was doing in his life when this album was cut or what the Beatles were doing or Elvis or the Rolling Stones. And the way she walked me through Tommy's The Who is next level like if nowadays that would be something you'd videotape and put on youtube and like who fans by the millions would flock to the way this woman uh expressed the story of tommy's the who and the 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 deaf dumb and blind kid who could sure play a mean pinball and i just so much about the happiness that i can feel in my life now and i'm getting shivers just talking about it because i mean music is everything to me music is the i would say one of the most important aspects of my life my ability to just hear the nuances in music and love all variations of it and when i tell people how much i love music they often are like oh you play an instrument and i'm like oh no 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 uh, I'm even more important to the music world and i'm like i'm the audience member who understands the beauty of what I'm hearing. And I think that all music needs to have those aficionados, those people who can hear the nuance and hear the lyrics and create their own story, but also know enough to to understand why the musician had that story. And uh, I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful part to play in the, the expression of music to be that member in the audience who really feels what the person's doing. And that's mom, you know, mom really, she cared. Uh, she cared about my appreciation for the finer things of life and um, even arts and museums and aquariums and, you know, animal rescue places and all those things. Those were things that we you know talked about and did and cared about. And, uh, you know, bless you, mom, bless you. 16 years. Uh, it was tough. It was tough more at the beginning uh, when she first passed. I mean, you know, that was back in 2007. Um, You know, I've talked about her before and how our last conversation was me basically saying, I think I'm an alcoholic and her uh, trying to deny that for me, trying to, she fought back, which is, you know, sane to think about now, um, you know, because, you know, that was 2007, 10 years later, I got sober, um, that I think she just didn't want me to have to live with that label. And she did say, Jess, I just think you're bored. I don't think that Gainesville is pushing you hard enough. You need to get out and do something with your life. And I did. You know, I traveled the world. I had that marketing job where I was in Singapore and Cuba and the Western Europe and all that jazz. But it still didn't, I still couldn't beat back the demon that was alcoholism. And ultimately, it was something that I had to release and and it's a bummer to me that our last conversation was about that, but maybe that's exactly what it needed to be about. And there had to be a part of me that wanted to not necessarily prove her wrong. I have no interest in proving her wrong about me being an alcoholic, but for me to be able to be the man she always wanted me to be, um, to be the human being that she raised me to be, you know, to stand by my morals and ethics and values and my virtues and principles and, you know, be the kind of person who stands up for those who need to be stood up for and is somebody that can be relied upon and counted on and uh, is known for their trustworthiness and their humility and their integrity. And uh, I cannot say I'm batting a thousand on that one, (laughs) but... Um, again, we're humans living a human experience. Are we ever expected to be perfect? No. Progression? Yes. And I think that, you know, uh, it will 
in a, not in a negative way do I say this, but in a very positive, uh, content, uplifting way that, you know, I'll always be striving to be the man that she wanted me to be. And I don't think I was at the, at the time the man that she didn't want me to be. But I have this image of the kind of mom that would be proud to, you know, be in an audience somewhere and elbow the person next to him and be like, that's my son. And the joy that would be on her face, um, especially, you know, it matters. It matters. And I, I can't say that about a ton of people. There's not a ton of people in my life that matter to me so much that I want them to be able to smile that they know me. But there are those that matter. And uh, unfortunately, a few of them are dead. And whether it be Mother or Abigail or Bunton, um, you know, there's there's those were some pretty formidable people in my life um, at that turning point, at that 17 to 18 range where I felt lost and emotionally shut down and I told down alcohol and drugs like, you know, like it was my job. Um, and that part always bummed me out that, you know, I didn't stay on the track that I was on coming out of high school. Um, certainly I think I know my mom saw great potential in me and, you know, just like my academic advisor back at UF, Sandra, um, I often say that, you know, she saw things in me that I didn't even believe anymore by the time I got in front of her. Um, I still credit her as to being the number one inspiration for me to have graduated from the university of Florida. Um, I called her mom, uh, went and visited her anytime I was in that building. She was stellar. And I have been blessed to have people like that in my life. And some might say that, you know, lucky to have those kind of people in your life. But for me, I, I think it's the energy I put out that says that, you know, I'm genuine and I care and I, I want to do right by others and I, I want them to do right by me. And, and I want to be one of those souls that's on this planet where, you know, people can nod their head and say that that guy's doing it right. Uh, again, not always have I <laughs> been that person. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of shame, and <laughs> for some reason, the was that Beastie Boys in shame in the membrane. There's a lot of shame in my in, there's a lot of shame in my membrane. <laughs> there we go, spit it out. Somewhere in the cerebellum, all that exists. Anyways, um, it's just it's it matters. It matters that I do uh, right by her memory, and I still have her ashes. Um, and I still spread them um, anytime I go somewhere beautiful. And in fact, they're sitting right here um, on my windowsill and next to my little um, bumblebee stuffed animal. And, um, you know, it's like when I went on that motorcycle trip in 2012, uh, you know, 29 states and over 12,000 miles over four months and spread her ashes at over 150 some odd places. Um, you know, those are the kind of things I do to just honor her um, for being the beautifully imperfect human that she was. Uh, I always wish she'd have lived long enough to have seen me actually achieve uh, great things. Um, again, she would argue that she saw me achieve marvelous things even in her short life. So it is the anniversary of her death. 16 years ago, I was at the Bonefish Kitchen closing it down and um, I was the head waiter, so I was in the office doing all the numbers, and my cousin called me, and I knew when I picked up that phone that it was not good news, and I remember trying to sit at that computer and finish my work, and I just started crying, and I went out and told the manager and just went home, and, you know, it was a whirlwind after that until we, you know, buried her. Well, didn't bury her. We cremated her and 
came home from that. And so um, I wanted to honor mom. I wanted to say that. And this is going to be um, one hell of a fucking show. So I have decided at some point in the near future to start to limit these episodes to about 30 minutes because I'm noticing that I'm putting a lot of topics into one episode. And I'm thinking, man, I really, I really feel like I'm getting some of this information lost in the sauce. And so um, I've got these post-it notes all over my walls that, so basically I, I've mapped out like what the next year's worth of shows could be. And, um, <laughs> and then they'll just, you know, I'll just start doing them. Um, and so I would like to start to shorten these episodes. So in honor of the fact that it will be my supreme goal to stop having 50 topics in one episode, I say we do it one last time. <laughs> Put on your seatbelts, people. We're going on a fucking ride. This is going to be nuts. All right. I have been thinking about this episode for way too long not to take you on a ride. Now, first and foremost, 200 episodes. I have done very little social media for this show. I have allowed it to grow organically and do its thing. Mainly, I just didn't find the time to go in and really build up all that social media stuff. Now, it is something that I I do plan on doing. One of the benefits of shortening the episodes is being able to put a little bit more time into that and start getting the message more out there. So let me just do a little sidebar. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please go over there and rate me, give me some stars, say some cool things. You don't want to have to subscribe if you don't want to. That's fine. You don't get to know when the new episodes come out. You'll just have to remember. I know you're remembering already. Here's an idea. Go over there, slap some stars down, and give me a review because it will help me show up higher in search. There are people who need this information. I want them to know that I'm out there offering it. If any of the apps you're listening to offer that whole give it stars and give it a quick review, please, it'll take like a minute, and it will really mean the world to me. It will help me show up higher. Uh, I've definitely gotten some pretty good accolades already this year, showed up on the top five in a couple lists, so clearly people are noticing. Um, that being said, I, the, the word can never be loud enough, right? Let's break the stigma. Let's, let's free people from the shackles of addiction, and I really do believe that this material I bring is going to help with that, and, and clearly has helped in many, many regards and ways. And that's, um, so that's my little plug for helping me with that. We'll get, we'll do social media nonsense. We'll discuss that later. But one of the benefits of doing the shorter episodes is they'll be a little bit more succinct and like, I can just give you one idea. So I try to do that. I honestly did. I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> okay. I mean, 50, 50 on this one. I really did want to make this short. This is, and we're already 15 minutes in and that was just talking about mom um, and there's a part of me that's like, did I go a little long? Could I just stop this and re-record and make it shorter? Nah. I wanted that to be raw, and I wanted you to feel it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to throw us all in the deep end. Now, 200 episodes in. Now, okay, another little preface. If y'all are new to this show, if you have literally never listened to an episode before, uh, first of all, thank you for going through that 15-minute conversation about my mother. You don't even know me, so you didn't have to do that. But for those of you uh, who have been listening to me for a long time, I'm sure you're happy to hear about mom too. So everybody, whether you're new, whether you're old, just know that if you listen to me as a new listener right now, this episode, you're going to either want to walk away and say, man, this dude knows a ton of stuff. I can't wait to listen to more. Or you're going to think this dude is freaking bonkers, and I should run. I should run from this guy. It could go either way. Could go either way, folks. I don't know. I don't know. Because I've got some awesome stuff to discuss here. Because when I started this show, I didn't, I didn't really know what to expect from it. I, I 
didn't expect everybody to agree with me. And in fact, there was definitely some times back at the beginning when I was more active on the social media aspect where people would blatantly come out and tell me that I was triggering them and I was angering them and I was upsetting them. And I'm thankfully I had a coach who was just like, dude, you're not going to please everybody. You know, you just got to do you. You got to talk about addiction the way you want to talk about addiction. And those who are drawn to it will be drawn to it. And those who aren't will go off in their merry way and don't let a bad review or somebody's talking some smack in your DMs, you know, pull you away from what it is your mission is, is moving you forward on. And so, um, again, no expectations of what this show would, would be. Didn't expect everybody to agree with me. Honestly, I just want you to create your own thoughts, your own feelings around what it, we're discussing on the show. Right? Decide what actions you're going to take around your own recovery program. I bring you new resources. I bring you new information because I've heard a lot of people say, well, you got to find, you got to figure out what works for you. You got to find the, the way that it's going to work for you best and work it. And I agree with that in part. But honestly, what got most of us in this mess was doing things the way that we'd always done them. So perhaps it's time to shift the way we've done things and try something new. And because so many of our actions and so many of our behaviors, like 95 plus percent, are coming from the sub and unconscious mind, we're not even really sure why we're doing half the shit we're doing. Right? It's not only until we pause for a little bit and start doing some deep diving and reflection do we even remotely be able to touch upon this stuff. And so this is what we're going to talk about in today's show. <laughs> we're going to start talking about the conscious and the subconscious and the unconscious mind. And we're going to discuss just what's going on in there. And so, I mean, I feel like I'm, let's breathe, goose fraba, goose fraba. Um, to wrap up the mom thing, there's some things that my, I really learned strong from my mom, some principles that um, matter to me, which is really odd because when I look back at the principles mom really pushed and endeared into me, um, they are literally discussed within neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. I'm a master practitioner. I'm a trainer. I teach this to people in addiction recovery. I teach this to just people who are looking to uplift their lives. Um, I actually, you know, train people in, in a way where they walk away with multiple cert certifications to be a life coach and to be a business coach and to be uh, capable of doing the things that I do. And so when I remember these principles mom raised me with, um, there's these three that happen to stand out. And when we think about when we go to adhere to new ideas, to new principles, uh, in, in LP, they're called presuppositions. These are things that we presuppose to be true, right? It's just the idea that we're just going to go ahead and assume them to be true based off of what they're saying to us. Presupposing things is something you do all the time, right? When I say something um, like, um, I quit drinking, well, that presupposes that I once drank. When I say I love going to aquariums, that presupposes that I have been to aquariums. When I say I hate beets, that presupposes that I have tasted or seen or smelled or otherwise had some kind of interaction or experience with beets. You presuppose things all the time. If you come into your house and you, tell, you, you announce in your kitchen to your family that traffic is horrible, rarely, if ever, is somebody going to be like, were you driving? Like, of course you were driving. That's how you know traffic is horrible. They might ask you where you're coming from. That's totally an L.A. thing. 
They're like, oh, you can't. Oh, you were coming from the Getty. Did you take the 405 to the 10, to the 2, over to the 1, across that, to back to the 10, over to the 101, over to the 5, heading north? It's like that's something that people would do. But if you said the traffic's horrible and nobody's going to ask you if you were driving, they presuppose you were driving or how else would you know traffic was horrible? So when I teach presuppositions in NLP, these are like principles. These are tenets that you can live your life by. And so these are three that I I remembered my mother really instilling in me that ultimately NLP reverberated back to me. And so here's the three. Uh, Mom used to always say to me, respect other people's viewpoints and opinions because they are just as valid as yours. And this directly lines up with NLP's respect for the other person's model of the world, the other person's point of view. Right, we have no idea what it's like to walk in another person's shoes. Even if you were born, even if you were, you know, born as conjoined twins, and you lived your whole life glued to this hip of the of this other twin, you still would not have very. You would have so little understanding of how their mind has interpreted what's happened in front of it and turned it into its memories and its realities inside of its head. It's that complex, the human brain. So respecting somebody else's model of the world, their opinions, their viewpoints, things have happened in their life that have created that in them. You may not agree. And just by listening does not mean you condone it, but it certainly doesn't mean that you got to scream at them just simply because you don't agree. They have got their reasons, whether you agree with them or not. That's their life they've led. It is not your life. I'm a really happy mom put that into me, right? That helped me greatly whenever I, you know, went to universities that had a very wide array of students when I had that overseas job and I was able to meet people and not judge them based off of where in the world they were from. I certainly got judged because I was from the United States, but (laughs) I was more than happy not to judge them back. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to make so many friends when I had that job because they could see like, oh, okay, this guy isn't rolling in here with his preconceived notions of what people are like over here, he is experiencing us in this moment in the now. And I directly relate that back to the way mom raised me to respect other people's viewpoints. I'm going to drink a lot of water during this show. So if you guys hear some pauses, that's what I'm doing. Everyone is doing the, okay, so another one. Um, You're doing the best you can and you'll do better in the future because you know you can based off what you have done. She, I know that's a really long one, but she used to tell me that when I'd come home with a grade and she'd be like, well, you did the best you could and now you know that you want to do better, right? Like, know better, do better, be better. It's like, okay, you, you got to see, you got to be. All right, well, what did you do? Well, could you do it better next time? All right, then go back to that table and get back to the drawing board. And NLP says everyone is doing the best they can with the resources they have. And I really do believe that everybody is doing the best they can with the resources they have. You were doing the best you could with the resources you had back when you were a drunk, right? What was once your medicine became your poison. You were doing the best you could. Now, at some point, your medicine, again, became the poison, and you said no more. And you actually found different resources, right? You found other resources inside yourself that said, no, no more. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to be sober. and I'm going to start. And you think, oh, well, I, didn't, I don't have these resources you're talking about, Jesse. If you have quit using, doing drugs, whatever it may be, right, you have the resources, right? They were always in there. There was just something, and we'll get into this later when we get into the conscious, unconscious, and subconscious mind. There's just something that needed to click, right? But you were doing the best you could then, right? I do beat myself up for not having done some of this sooner. Boy, that would have been really great if I'd have stopped doing 
you know, once I got kicked out of Ball State, stopped doing so many drugs and whatnot, got my shit together and actually gone off and been a sports broadcaster. Sure, that would have been great. You know what else have been great? Uh, not wrecking four cars, not getting arrested over 15 times. All those things would have been great. Which moment am I supposed to go back to, right? What's the gestalt? Am I, what, what is the root cause of all of this? Was I go, go back to when I was nine years old? <laughs> And, you know, tell my dad to stop calling me gay when I want to jump around the living room and sing songs. Like, what is possibly the root cause? Who knows? It's, it's, it's a fruitless endeavor to try to figure that out. I was doing the best I could back then. I'm doing differently now. And I started accessing different resources. And you're doing it too. And whenever you start to think that you can't do something, again, it's just me hearing you say that you're, you're already sick and tired of the life that you've led. So when I hear you say I, you can't, I just hear you fighting for this life, right? Fighting for the old life that you don't want, right? Replace I can't with um, I don't know yet. I haven't figured that out yet. Drop that word yet in behind there because you can figure things out. You have the resources inside of you. And the other one um, that she would talk about was that, um, you know, I am in charge of me. I make the decisions for me. Don't let somebody else influence my decisions. Make the decisions that work for me. And NLP, it was called, it was discussed as you are in charge of your mind and therefore your results. And I am in charge of my own mind and therefore my results. And with NLP, there's a lot of this conscious, subconscious, unconscious conversation that's happening when we start to say that you're in charge of your own mind, therefore your results, right? Your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your, your results. Like this, these are the things you're in control of. You're not in control of somebody else's thoughts and feelings. You can do things to influence. We talked about this in the last episode, manipulation versus influence, but you are not in charge of somebody else's mind. Therefore, you are not in charge of their results right? Somebody could have a parent who screams at them and calls them loser. They go to school, get straight A's and become a rocket, you know, a rocket neuroscientist. And all because they were like, screw you. I'm not stupid. I'm not a loser, right? They, they didn't let somebody's external words affect what they knew they could do with their own internal mind, right? Whereas some people, yeah, they get ca- called ugly, stupid, whatever. And then that does demoralize and, and defeat them. And then they go off and, you know, they turn into a whole different person. That doesn't make them a weaker human. It just makes them human because we're all, we're all interpreting reality in different ways. So just because one person took an abusive childhood and turned it into, you know, this amazing life doesn't mean that the other person who didn't do that is somehow less than the person who did. That's not how this works. I know in this society where we like to hang our hat on how much money you're making and what your job title is and how big your house is and how beautiful your partner is and how many cars are in the garage and, you know, what's your handicap in your golf game, that we somehow think that all those external things decide who you are as a human being. And they just do not. They just do not. I'm not a, I'm not necessarily a big God person, but let's just roll with that for like... 20 seconds, I roll up to St. Peter's Gates and they're like looking for my name on that sheet. And I highly doubt they're going to be like, well, we would, we're trying to figure out whether you deserve to be in heaven or not. So quick question. Uh, how many zeros were in your bank account before you got here? How many cars do you have? How many super miles did you bid? How many mansions did you own? Uh, how much land did you destroy in order to make your empire? Okay, that works. Come on down. You're the next contestant and heaven is right. It's not that way, right? What is going on internally? That's what really builds, that's, that's, that's what shows character. What, what kind of character do you have? Who are you when nobody's watching? That's the kind of stuff that the makers want to know about, 
right? Whatever deity you decide that you want to believe in, right? That's what they're going to be counting, keeping score on. I do not think in a moment that because of my past behaviors that I'm doomed to a life in hell. Again, not even really a believer in that whole hell thing anyways. But I'm like, seriously? I mean, yeah, I didn't do some great things, but let's have a conversation here. Overall, <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think I'm getting sent back down to hell. Um, so you are in charge of your mind and therefore your results. So let's talk about the mind. And now we're going to start really going deep, deep, deep. Deep down, deep, deep, deep down, deep, deep down, 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 deep, deep down, 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 deep, deep down, 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 deep, deep, deep down. That actually is a that actually is a trance song off of a Gatecrasher album from like the late nineties. I told you you better have put your seatbelt on. For this conversation, when we talk about the mind, we're going to focus on the three areas that um, our reality and our lives are created from. There's a lot of things we could talk about with the mind, and we get into the whole amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, all that stuff. No. I want to just stick to the three main parts of where your mind is operating from, and that is the conscious, the subconscious, and the unconscious. Now, there's a lot... A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Oh my God, this episode could go on for two days. Um, there's a lot. I <laughs> I prepared show notes like I was getting ready to go on of Joe Rogan's show for three hours or something. So, um, <laughs> in fact, in fact, I should go on Joe Rogan's show. Anybody know Joe Rogan? I would love to meet him. Maybe he'd let me come on. Send him this episode. Maybe he'll find it entertaining. So let's discuss conscious mind, subconscious, unconscious mind, right? Because you're in charge of your mind, therefore your results. But are you? Are you actually in charge of your mind? Do you understand the depths at which a majority of your actions and behaviors and your thoughts and your feelings are coming from? Now, the conscious mind is the easy one. That's the one most of us are fully aware of. That's the one I'm living in right now. As I look around my office and I've got, you know, I've got the yellow LED lights around my window. I've got the blue lights over here. I've got the Einstein picture on my wall. I've got all the post-it notes around me. You know, I've got deer outside frolicking as I, you know, unleash pounds and pounds of corn into the yard, right? This is where your actual awareness is. The conscious mind is that part of your mind that you're actively aware of at any given moment, right? This is your thoughts, perceptions, feelings, sensations, everything you're currently experiencing. Wherever you're at right now, this is conscious land, right? Now, when NLP discusses the conscious mind, it talks about how your five senses bring in information into your noggin, right? And then it's run through the delete distort and generalize processes, and then it's run through all these different filters, time, space, matter, energy, attitude, personality, experiences, beliefs, opinions, all of these things. And your brain's doing this in nanoseconds, and it kicks back this internal representation, this, this picture inside your mind. When I say picture a dog, you have an internal representation of a dog. Internal representation, meaning internally in your brain, a representation of a dog. When I say internal representation, that's what I mean. You have a representation of a dog internally in your mind. The dog is not in your mind. It is a picture of a dog. So if I say dog, what dog are you picturing? If I say golden retriever, what dog are you picturing? If I say Mr. Ed or Lassie or Grover or Miss, you know, or the Cookie Monster, whatever you're picturing in your mind is your internal representation of those things, of those nouns. But my interpretation would be different than yours. When I say Cookie Monster, I have a very distinct picture of Cookie Monster. Yours is not going to be the same as mine. 
even if we happen to both look at the same picture of Cookie Monster and then walk away and then later on somebody's like, hey, picture Cookie Monster, we both picture that picture, there's still going to be different things about it. Mine might be brighter. Yours could be dimmer. Mine could have more vivid colors. Yours could be a little bit more uh, muted. Right, your mind could be blurry. Yours could be sharp. There's all these different ways that we are picturing these things in our mind. So this is the conscious mind. It takes in this information and it puts these pictures. So when I say what's a dog look like, you've got a picture of a dog. When I say what's your, what's a car, you've got a picture of a car. So when NLP explains the conscious mind is that which you are aware of through your five senses. Now this is where this is where we're gonna seriously. If y'all are walking around and you don't have a pen and a pad, and you're ready to get into the lab. You're probably gonna come back and listen to some of this again because we're gonna. We're going to get heavy for a moment for the rest of the episode for a while. I don't know. It's indiscriminate. We have no idea how it's going to be heavy. It might not even be heavy at all for you right now. You might be a neuroscientist thinking this guy is amateur hour. I don't know. And I'm just going with the flow. The human brain can process. Now, this is according to some neurosciencey stuff and Harvard tests. And like, there's like, I've literally got like, um, in here, like, um, cognitive psychologist George Miller doing a Harvard University Department of Psychology test. Like, this is how deep I went down the rabbit hole, guys. But, well, a pull out of that. We don't need to get that that jabroni into this. Let's just stay where we're at. So, there's a lot of ways you can interpret this. these numbers I'm getting ready to throw out. But when we talk about the conscious mind, there's varying ways people try to associate what how much information the, the mind can take in versus how much is being fed into it. NLP discusses 2.3 million bits of data coming into your brain in, in every single second. Um, Harvard scientists and neuroscientists have said it's 11 million bits of information, but it doesn't really matter how many bits. We just know that there's a ton. And when you're thinking, Jesse, what are you talking about with these bits? Are we computers? Well, it, let's just say that we made, we built computers in our image. <laughs> it's just, it's what we did because it's what we knew. And so you got all these bits flying in. Now, what does a bit mean? Well, look around wherever you're at right now. You know, right now I'm looking in my room. So every little piece of carpet is a bit. The texture on the wall is a bit. The, the, the backpack hanging up in the the closet, my office chair sitting here, this microphone in front of me, my ear, my AirPods container in front of me. All of these things are bits of data that the, the conscious mind is being fed. Our brains are being fed this every single second. It's like everything around you exists and your conscious mind is doing its best to take it in, but it can't take it all in. It can take in but a minuscule. And again, according to the research I've done, that can be anywhere between 40 bits and 126 bits. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. It's like 0.006% of all the information that's happening around you right now can actually be held within the conscious mind. The rest of it just goes into the, the, the sub and unconscious. It just it gets stored away because it's not necessary. You don't need to know that there's 400,000 pieces of carpet underneath your feet right now, nor do you need to know. What's up, what's up with your little toe right now? That little pinky toe on your left foot. Can you feel that? You feel that little pinky toe on your left foot? What's a big toe on your right foot doing? Yeah. Yeah, you weren't even paying attention to those things, were you? Until I pointed them out. Now all of a sudden you know exactly what your big toe's doing. That's the 11 million bits. That's the 2.3 million that they talk about, right? Again, 2.3 versus 11 million. It's a, it's a ton. It's a lot. And your conscious mind's only able to hold in 126. Now why am I talking about this? Why is this important? Because all the rest of that information is going into your subconscious mind. It's going into your unconscious mind. It's going back there. And it's and you're not even realizing it, right? Everything you see, include everything, 
including me saying all of this stuff, everything you see, you hear, you feel, you taste, you touch, everything that you've ever experienced has no meaning. It's all neutral. You, me, we, all of us attach meaning to it. We attach meaning to it through our filters, through our processes, delete, distort, generalize, personality, opinions, beliefs, all that stuff I mentioned earlier. All right, we attach meaning to it. We are meaning-making machines. I've said this so many times on this show that you should absolutely remember that by now. You can control the meaning you attach to things. So you pick meanings that empower you. Pick meanings. Like girlfriend rolls her eyes when I say something. I could take that as a sign of disrespect or that she doesn't care what I'm saying. Or I can simply be like, why'd you roll your eyes just now? I, I don't understand. What is it that I said? Oh, nothing. It was nothing. No, I'm just, just curious, right? Like you, you got to tap into it. They may not even know what the meaning is. That could be an unconscious behavior that comes about whenever they're confused or when they're interested. I used to have a girlfriend who made the, who made a face like she was befuddled. Um, and so she started making that face and I went to explain stuff to her and it almost looked like annoyance. It was like a cross between Michaela Maroney's little wince that she made on the stand whenever she got like silver in the Olympics. You remember that, that, that uh, Olympian gymnast, you know, she had that little side smirk thing. It was like that, but this girl also furred her, furrowed her eyebrows. So it was like this half smirk, half furrowing. It looked like she was pissed off, confused and annoyed all at the same time. Right. And it was months into the relationship when I finally asked her what that face meant. And she's like, oh, that's my interested face. I'm like, well, son of a bitch, I should have asked you about that a few months ago before I thought you were just an angry, vilifiable person, right? We attach meaning to things without even knowing what's going on. And this is really harmful when it's another human because they're doing things and they may not even know what the meaning of it is. Right? And so we got all this stuff going on with the conscious mind. It's trying to figure all this stuff out. And here's the crazy part, too. Like you'll hear studies that says you know, 95% of our brain activity uh, goes beyond our conscious awareness. And we're going to get into that shortly when we get into the sub and unconscious mind. But Carl Jung likes to talk about, like, until you bring the unconscious conscious, it will continue to direct you, and you'll call it fate, or you'll call it karma, or you'll call it luck. But it's not a majority of the reasons you are who you are and that you behave the way you behave, the way you have the reason you have these thoughts, these feelings, these actions, results are all stemming from the work of your unconscious mind. And the conscious mind is doing its best, right? Let's go back to those original numbers. There's 2.3 million bits of data. I know you've heard me say 11 million bits. That was from a different study. Let's just reel it in and let's just stick to the NLP version of it because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Your conscious mind's holding on to like 126 bits and 2.3 million are being fed to it. If for some type of analogy, imagine every single second of your life, I stood over your head and dumped 2.3 million paperclips uh, over your head and you had to grab out 126 blue ones, right? You think you're going to be able to do that every single second? So every single second, you're trying to grab out the perfect 126 blue ones, right? The ones that are going to be the, the, the most powerful and empowering and uplifting and the ones that are going to build your confidence and your self-love for yourself. You're not going to be able to do it. This is why NLP and cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR are so powerful because it does this work where it confuses the mind. It jumbles what you once believed to be true and puts you in this state of confusion where your brain actually has a choice whether it still wants to believe the limiting beliefs and and the negativity that you've been feeding yourself for so many years or if it wants to choose something more empowering. 
So it gives you an opportunity to slow down and say, oh, here's the 126 I wanted to take from that moment. Here's the 126 I wanted to take from that moment, right? My mom leaving me at school when I was six years old doesn't mean that she didn't love me. It just means that she was not feeling well that day and she was at the doctor's appointment trying to take care of herself so that she could be a better mom for me. Oh, so she was actually late. She was at the doctor taking care of herself, which is self-care, which means that she was going to be more present for me. She was actually at the doctor because she loved me, not because she didn't love me. Imagine being able to shift that from being left at school and thinking your mom doesn't love you to realizing, no, the reason she was late was because she loved me that much. This is the power. This is the power of of this of NLP. This is the power of being able to shift. And this conscious mind, we're going to get off the conscious. We're going to go to sub, un, sub and un here in a second. Um, you're only able to hold on to about seven objects in your short-term memory, plus or minus two. Um, this is really important. And this is something I want you to, to really be noticing about yourself. Have you ever gone to leave the house and like someone's talking to you and you're trying to grab your phone, your keys, your water, your wallet, your glasses, your purse, your backpack, your coffee, right? And then all of a sudden you get in the car and it's like, oh my God. I left that really important document on the counter. How could I be so stupid? You weren't stupid. Your brain was freaking overloaded. It can only hold on to so many things happening to it. Again, 126 bits a second. That's it. Two people talking to you is like over 170 bits. Your brain can't do it. You ever been driving and pulled into a parking lot and there's like, so I get in, I, I drive me and my girlfriend and her son around a lot and we'll pull into a parking lot. So we'll all three be talking, music will be playing, the blinker's on, I'm checking my speed, I'm looking for a parking spot. As you're pulling in, there's always going to be an intersection where multiple cars could be showing up and sure enough, it'll be like car, car, car. Like the brain, like you'll, you'll know whenever your brain gets maxed out, you'll feel your heart rate kick up. You'll know that you're, because it's like, you have to get into that fight or flight. Your brain needs you to freaking focus. This is when I'm like, bandwidth, I will literally say bandwidth in the car, bandwidth. That is, that is everyone shut the hell up. I'll turn the music off immediately. I'll turn the music off and say bandwidth and that's it. I need quiet. Somebody keeps on like, no, 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 no. I need quiet. I'll just stop the car right where it's at. People can start honking at me for all I care. It's like, no, bandwidth. I would love for y'all to get into a habit of that. Bandwidth, bandwidth. I've maxed out. Other people do this too, right? They might power through in the parking lot. Maybe they get in an accident. Maybe they don't. But I'm not going to put my body in a state of duress so everybody can just keep yammering on in the car and the trans can keep blaring and I can keep acting like everything's okay when it's not. When it's not okay, stop. Say bandwidth. Walk away. Allow your brain to not have more than seven plus or minus two objects on it. Because I'm telling you, this is why you're leaving crap at home. This is why you get flustered in the car. This is why you, 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 this is why you get emotionally triggered at work. This is why you know something's going on in the grocery store and you're trying to push down the, the aisle and there's five or six carts and there's all this noise and there's music and we need another checkout in aisle two, spill on aisle four, right? And it's like you feel like there's so much happening. It's like sensory freaking overload. It's because it is. Your conscious mind has its limits. Now, the unconscious and subconscious mind, oh, they don't. Now, 
<laughs> I dare you to go Google what's the difference between the subconscious and unconscious mind. And <laughs> because I read a lot about this stuff and I was super confused. I will applaud anyone who wants to go out and Google this stuff. It's like, I totally understand this. It's like I was born with this knowledge because it, the internet does not want to make it something easily <laughs> to figure out. Again, who am I to judge how fast or slow anybody is able to interpret information? But I'm just going to be honest with you. This 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 got my brain crunched, and I've done a lot of research, but for some reason, this desire to be able to specifically outline the difference between the subconscious and the unconscious mind for you became like a 20-minute obsession, <laughs> and I ultimately had to turn to ch- chat GBT and have a philosophical conversation with this computer AI software. So this, so I don't know if you've heard of it yet or not, but if you go, if you go to Google and type in chat GBT, there's this AI software that's, that's recently come out that is phenomenal. And I mean, phenomenal. And so I sat there and had this philosophical conversation with a computer. (laughs) So for those of you in the future who might be listening to this two, three years down the road, I hope that our robot overlords are taking real good care of us. Um, Clearly, they're still letting you listen to podcasts because you're listening to me three years into the future. Uh, Just know that there was a period in time where we were not being ruled by robot overlords. Um, It was back in the beginning of 2023 when ChatGBT was new. Um, Starlink will certainly be, uh, was it Starlink? Stargate? Oh my goodness, how am I not remembering the Terminator reference now? Of all the things I can't remember when I want to be able to remember it. I'm thinking, Skynet! Skynet! Um, So yeah, there was a time when Skynet wasn't in charge, and it was back at the beginning of 2023 when ChatGPT was still in its beginning stages. And so I got into this philosophical conversation with a computer, and we actually figured it out. And uh, the coolest thing about figuring this stuff out with (laughs) this computer software was the fact that I came up with an analogy, and the software was like, even said, that's a really good analogy to help understand the different levels of the mind. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, computer software, for making me feel like I just took something that I was feeling that was super complicated. And I I was able to very, very directly say, so, and I, I literally asked the question, and we'll get into it in a moment. Okay, getting ahead of myself. Unconscious, subconscious, all right? They're often used to describe like mental processes that are happening below our awareness. This is behind the conscious mind. Picture iceberg. Your conscious mind is the, t- is the point that you can see. Iceberg dead ahead, right? That's what the Titanic people saw when, right before they crashed into it and all froze to death. They saw the conscious mind sticking up out of the water. What they did not see was the humongous iceberg underneath the water, that was ultimately what ripped a hole in the hole and caused everybody to, you know, have that, you know, Titanic moment. Leonardo DiCaprio letting go of the door. He, I mean, why he didn't get on the door? I don't know. I don't. Know. It's still, it's still a conundrum. Why didn't Leo just get on the door? What? There was a big door. She couldn't have scooted over. There was people blowing the whistles. All right, it could have been like, hey, let's swim over there. Let's get inside the boat. There's only like five people on it. But no, I'm gonna drop into the water because it's really romantic that way. Anyways. Let's go back to the iceberg, because I don't think that this is a movie review show, but it almost turned into one. So you've got this iceberg, unconscious, subconscious, that's all underneath, right? 
So things that are happening outside of your awareness, that's where your sub and unconscious mind exist, right? Now, this is where the difference between the two can get super, super weird, right? Because unconscious can refer to like a mental process that's completely hidden from your conscious awareness, right? There's, it's completely hidden. Whereas your subconscious can revert to mental processes that are just below your conscious awareness. And they absolutely influence your thoughts and your behaviors and all that. Now, the unconscious mind, it absolutely is affecting your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. It absolutely is. But the subconscious is a little bit more shallow. Okay? And so this is where I – so I, I I read all this stuff, and I got into this conversation with the with ChatGBT, and this is where we went with it. And again, it was a long conversation. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But ultimately – it started making it sound even more complicated. And so I came back and I said, so the conscious is like my room, the subconscious is like my closet, and the unconscious is like the addict. Attic, not addict. Attic, where you put things, not addict, like what who we used to be. Um, and the computer came back and said, that's a good analogy to help you understand the different levels of the, of the mind. So that's how I'm going to explain it to you all. That the conscious mind is like your main living space where you spend most of your time and you're fully aware of your surroundings. It's like wherever you're at right now, unless you're outside, that's still your conscious mind because it's still where you're at right now. Look around. What do you notice? Everything you notice is your conscious mind. The subconscious mind is like your closet. Right? This is where you store things that you don't need access to very often, but they can easily be retrieved. Right? Like You don't need access to what your first car was. Right, but if you ask me what my first car was, it's like, oh, it was a Cutlass Sierra. It was beige. I wrecked it into a tree with my buddy Donovan into it in it uh, with me on the way to on the way to school one day. Very first time we were ever driving my car without my parents in it. I was listening to the song "Life Is a Highway." Somebody came around a corner and they were definitely in my side of the road. I was super afraid I was going to hit them head on, so I tried to get off the side of the road going 45 miles an hour and sideswiped a telephone pole and almost killed us. And that is not something that's normally at the tip of my tongue, my conscious mind, but it is in my subconscious. Right? It was very easily ex- accessed. It was very, it's very easily accessible as soon as I start to think about it. Right? So when you start to think about a memory of, let's say, my, uh, we took the training wheels off my bicycle. And, uh, and when we lived in Orlando, Florida, it was a condo. It would have been our first house. There was a hill and um, I was not tall enough. We put the seat up too high so I couldn't push the pedals back to brake. Went down the hill, went straight into a palm tree, still have a scar on my, a little tiny scar on my lip that, to show for it. Like that's not something that's conscious. It's not happening right here. It's not in front of me now, but it's still, it's just, it's in the closet. If I've, if somebody's ever be like, oh man, I had a bicycle accident once and you remember your bicycle accident, that's your subconscious. That's just in the closet. It's right there. It's available for you. Now your unconscious mind is the attic, right? That's where things are stored that are, that are far less frequently accessed and they were, they're absolutely going to require more effort to retrieve. Right, you might have a a reason for um, hating snakes, for being afraid of snakes, and you cannot, for the life of you, remember why. 
You just know that you can picture snakes. If you see, if you, if you're ever out walking, your conscious mind's super alert for snakes, right? You might even have a story where you know you saw a snake at a museum and it made you really sad and you freaked out. And you might think that's the reason why, and it could be a repressed memory. It could be something that's so deep down. It may have been, you know, like I've never once seen a shark in person. I know the reason I'm afraid of going to large bodies of water like oceans and lakes because I can't see the bottom is because of a movie called Piranhas and the movie called Jaws, right? But unconsciously, like that fear that comes from that, that visceral reaction, other reasons why I may not like large bodies of water, that's all in those, you know, uh, what was it, Freud? Uh, Freud viewed the unconscious as this repository for um, socially unacceptable ideas, anxiety-producing desires, and traumatic memories, and painful emotions that basically were put out of the mind by the ability to repress them. That's where this stuff in the unconscious mind goes. So when we're trying to change our behaviors, like really change our behaviors, we have to start figuring out why we are doing things. What is going on with the unconscious mind that's triggering some of this, right? This is why you might blow up relationships, right? You might say, well, I'm not good at relationships because my parents got divorced when I was young and I was just not shown a really healthy home and all that stuff. And right then I'm not saying none of that's not true. I mean, that's my story. I thought I was bad at relationships because, you know, <clears throat> my first girlfriend in high school, just the whole thing went sideways quick. And, and then my parents got divorced shortly thereafter. And then the, my second girlfriend, which is the one I really loved, she ended up going to France for the summer. And then I, you know, I went, got into drugs and alcohol and went to college and the addiction and it just, it was, it's all the story, right? And so, but what is it that's going on unconscious? What were some of those things that I may have seen as a child back before I could even really understand why I was attaching meaning to things that now have become driving forces for why I behave the way I behave? This is what I'm talking about when humans are meaning-making machines. The shit of the stick of it is, from zero to seven, you're just being imprinted and implanted upon by everything around you. Right? And I think about today, you got all you got these kids with these cartoons and the TV and the smartphones and the internet. They're being inundated with more information in like a day than we would have had access to or like in a whole year. If if you hand a three-year-old a smartphone and pop them on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to see more things, access more information than we would have seen our entire third year of life. They could see in a day. And all this stuff is just being imprinted and implanted on them. And that's what was happening to you. And since we didn't know why things were happening, we couldn't discuss it with anyone. We're attaching meanings to it. We're taking all these pictures in, right? Even at the, even, I mean, at zero years old, you're delete, distorting, and generalizing, and you're having these filters. It's the formation of them, but it's happening. Right? I mean, my nieces and nephews are prime examples. Like one is super shy. The other one just will not stop making noise. The, you know, the other one's ornery. Like why? They're like two, three, and five. But they're already starting to show these personality traits that are very distinctive. And we're like, but they were raised in the same house. But again, no human brain is the same. They're all unique. So all of this stuff's happening. And look, I mean, like my very first memory was me having chicken pox when I was like four years old in Oklahoma City. It was my very first distinct one. There's another one with me climbing a pear tree next door. 
um, that I can remember. And then there's one I think I'm hanging like upside down on something in my grandma's backyard. And then like my fourth distinct memory from that period of time was me getting in the car and crying while my mom drove us away to move to Colorado to because she had gotten married to my stepdad. Like there's not a whole lot of memories. I don't have none from that era, except for those four I mentioned. Oh, and there's another one where, like, I was at a gas station with a relative, and I opened up the car, and they needed to move the car to the other side to get the gas. And for some reason, I left the door open, and I, like, jumped over into their arms while the door was open. I think we were in a Trans Am or something. Like, again, like, the the unconscious mind would have all that. If I could put myself into a state of trance, a, a, a light hypnosis, we could access that. The unconscious mind doesn't forget anything. Your brain will never be full. Right, people are like, oh, you know, I, you know, I learned algebra in ninth grade, so now I forgot about my third, my, you know, my three-year-old birthday party. It's still in there. It's just not in your subconscious. You moved it from the closet into the attic because you don't need to access your thir- three-year-old birthday party, right? I mean, unless like a real live fucking dinosaur showed up shooting, you know, fireworks out of its ass, the likelihood you're remembering your third-year-old birthday party is nil. You don't need to. It's not helpful information that's going to keep your mind safe. Your unconscious mind, number one job is to keep you alive. All the other stuff, it's like great bonus, but trust me, it is going to keep you alive. <laughs> and as we are all in some varying stages of sobriety and recovery, have there was there not times when you woke up, it like where the hell am I and how in the F am I still alive? <laughs> your unconscious mind was working quadruple time. That's the that's those guardian angels we talk about. It's really just your unconscious mind. Jesse Mogul blacked out a thousand times. A thousand. It's not that's that's not an understatement. Took a thousand hit of acid, thousand hit of ecstasy, you know, just so many drugs, I, I can't even explain it all. Blacked out like it was my job. I was in a sprint to the blackout, and I was the only one in the race, and by God, I was gonna get there fast. Right? And how did I wake up? Well, you know, for the most part, with most most of the time, I mean, four times I did not wake up with my car intact, and 15 times I definitely woke up in orange, right? But for the most part, lots and lots and lots of blackouts, I still made it home alive, and that's the unconscious mind. That's the unconscious mind figuring that out. It's its soul. So you, you may have been blacked out consciously, gone. Unconsciously was like, let's do this. And that's the job of the unconscious mind. It's just to keep you alive. All these memories and everything that are happening, they're getting stored there. And why am I harping on this episode 200 and making this such a big deal? Because so much of your behaviors, I mean, again, well over 95% of them are being led by your unconscious mind. I know that can seem absolutely ridiculous, but it's real. Milton Erickson, one of the one of the people who the founders of NLP, the, really wasn't the founders. All they did was study psychologists and, and people who were uh, amazing in their field of psychology, and then find the patterns that were being established in their practice, and then put it into a book so everybody could understand the mind better and how it works. John Grinder and uh, Bandler, Richard Bandler, were two of the people who were at the forefront of putting all this information into books we could actually understand. And Milton Erickson was one of the psychologists that they that um, they did a great deal of, inf- of research on and followed his work. And Milton Erickson says, the unconscious mind works without your knowledge, and that is the way it prefers. It wants to be operating. It doesn't need you aware of it. Your conscious mind would just get in the way of what it's ultimately trying to do for you. Right? But whenever you're running on these unconscious programs, 
and they're no longer serving you, it's going to be your number one goal to get in there and figure it out. You've got to figure this stuff out. Is it Your unconscious mind is running so much of your life. John Grinder even said, Again, one of the people in NLP who put all this stuff together for us. We live in a culture that believes that most of what we do is done consciously. However, most of what we do and what we do best is done unconsciously. Now, he puts a positive spin on it, right? If you're in a state of flow, you're doing something and it's just like, you know, I got one of the tribal members. He's a, he loves woodworking, um, really good at woodworking. Another one, um, really good at playing the guitar, you know, so those, those come to mind. Something with your hands, like you get into a flow and you're just, you're just going. I mean, I'm a huge fan of fish and I think a Trey Anastasio, I also love the dead. And, you know, I think about, you know, I mean, any Bob, you know, Bob Weir, Phil Lesh, um, Jerry Garcia, even now the new in, in the new way that they're doing it with John Mayer. I mean, these are guitar players, the Eric Clapton's of the world. I mean, they're just. I mean, it's just Layla, and they're just. I mean, they're all over the place, right? They're just. They're just jamming. Their fingers are moving so fast, and you're just like, "How are they doing this?" It is a muscle memory. It's an unconscious behavior. Right? This is how they could get blacked out on drugs and alcohol in their heyday and keep playing because it, they just it was good to go. So John Grinder talks about what you do best being unconsciously. If you find yourself in a state of flow, that's because what you're doing in that moment is such an unconscious behavior. You're just rolling with it. You're just flowing. So when you find yourself in flow, that's when you've really taken something to this, you know, this unconscious, um, you know, um, uh, not integration, um, not contemplation. Um, oh gosh, there's a term I actually have a whole episode about it because I remember how hard it was for me to say the words unconscious something. Anyways, the point is is that you you're so you're just unconsciously good at it, and this is where the the mind is so much more powerful than the conscious mind because it can just take over and do things, and you're like this is spectacular. Uh, you think of Michael Phelps. I mean, his ability to to have those swim strokes, it was this muscle memory built into his unconscious mind. He, right? he, just, he just got in the water and just did what he did best because that's what he had trained himself to do. Um, you know, Eckhart Tolle likes to say, when I, when, I, when I obtain this or am free of that, then I will be okay. This is the unconscious mindset that creates the illusion of salvation in the future. This is a good one. Because as I was preparing for this show, I started thinking about unconscious and subconscious, you know, traits and why they lead our life. So I started looking for some really great quotes on the sub and unconscious. And here, Eckhart Tolle is talking about how when you have this thing that's like, well, when I, when I quit drinking alcohol, when I'm free of this addiction, then I'll be okay. But that's this unconscious mindset that creates the illusion that salvation is in the future. You can be okay could have been we could have been okay as people who were using it just was not something that we could control the drinking the triggers all of that it was so deeply um, seated in our unconscious mind we weren't breaking free of it it wasn't just right there's those take it or leave it drinkers right the normies i call them right like they just didn't have that switch flipped but we had it was flipped right so then we got to the point where it was like okay I, I got to kick the booze. But then we get it in our head. Well, okay, well, once I quit kick the booze, all my life will be amazing. No, it won't. No, now you're free of the shackles of addiction, of being a drunk and waking up with a hangover all the time and spending all your resources trying to get high the next time. There's a lot of work to do. There are a lot of people out there who are sober whose lives are a freaking mess. 
<laughs> trust me, sobriety is not a ticket to the amazing life show. <laughs> There's a whole lot more work to be done. Um, T. Harv Ecker says, when the subconscious mind must choose between deeply rooted emotions um, and logic, emotions will almost always win. Um, this is a great one. So when the, when the when the subconscious mind must choose between deeply rooted emotions or logic, emotions will almost always win. Now, for the sake of these quotes, some of them are using sub and unconscious. I'm not sure if they think that they're interchangeable. They're not sort of are, right? We both know that they're underneath the surface of the water, right? The, the conscious mind is the, is the tip of the berg sticking out. The, the sub and un are there. But again, the subconscious is the closet and the unconscious is the attic. But either way, this quote's spot on, right? Whenever your mind must choose between deep-rooted emotions or logic, emotions will all, almost always win because information passes through the, the emotional ghetto before it gets to the prefrontal cortex. It has to pass through the midbrain. Right? And that's where all the emotions are. So this is why, you know, you might get triggered by something and you don't even understand why. It's because the, it's because the action, the behavior that um, pro- proceeds the thought and the feeling are unconsciously wired in your mind. Right? This is what I, this is what I help people do with NLP. This is why I love teaching NLP to folks just like y'all. I multiple tribe members have taken NLP because it's the, this information gives you this. I mean, it's like a lighthouse. It just shines a light on you're like, wow, that's why this has been happening. Great. Now I have even more resources to go in there and really heal this trauma. Right? It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Where is this one I had? I actually had to go find out how to pronounce his name. Uh, where is it? I'm looking at my show notes. Um, Oh yeah, so it's Pao Pao. Let's see. I had to look it up. Paolo Coelho. Let's see. I'm, let's, let's hit this button. Paolo Coelho. Paolo Coelho. You know, you can type somebody's name in and then how to pronounce and like um, somehow Google has like this little computer that will tell it to you. I'm telling you, man, the robot overlords are coming. Paolo Coelho says, after weeks on the road, listening to a language you don't understand, using a currency whose value you don't comprehend. Walking down streets you've never walked down before, you discover that your old I, along with everything you ever learned, is absolutely no no use at all in the face of those new challenges. And you begin to realize that buried deep in your unconscious mind, there is someone much more interesting and adventurous and more open to the world and to new experiences. Absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. That right, you you're you're hearing language you don't understand, using money you don't comprehend, walking down streets you've never walked before, and it's like you you learn that in the face of all this new challenges, right? Sobriety and recovery, all these new challenges of this new life, you begin to realize that buried deep down in your unconscious mind, there's some a version of you that's more interesting and adventurous and more open to all these new experiences. This is the beauty of the work that we're doing on ourselves. And it's very interesting to me, the more that I work on this stuff, the more that I feel like this positive energy, this positive vibration coming my way. And Monday night when we were talking at um, Dharma, um, we got karma came up. That was the topic of the conversation, right? And it, you know, you've heard of karma. It's basically like the sum of a person's actions, um, previous states of existence as well. It's right. It's Hinduism and Buddhism. They definitely be- believe in reincarnation. Um, it's, it's viewed as a deciding their fate in the future. 
future existences and all that jazz, right? This sort of like destiny or fate. Now, go back to what Carl Jung said. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate, right? Karma really is just your unconscious behaviors, right, that you continuously do showing you what you have been sending out, right? Is it luck? Is it hard work? Is it karma? Right, it's it's, and that's the thing. It's even what did Chat GPT and me trying to have a conversation about this? Um, yeah, Chat Chat GPT. I, I call it Chat AI sometimes. Chat AI got really frustrated. It was like, look, overall karma is complex. It's multifaceted concept that reflects the interconnectedness of our actions and their effects on ourselves and the world around us. And I think you know what? That's pretty simple, right? Karma is, a, is, is, is complex, it's multifaceted, but it does reflect our interconnectedness to our actions and their effects on ourselves and the world around us. So if you're a dick to people, and then later on people are a dick to you, you know, and then people are like, see, you got what you deserved. Well, it's sort of that, that energy in, energy out kind of thing, right? It's like, and this is what I, when we talk about, like, you know, do I have bad karma, right? It's like, okay, so I treated women poorly in my 20s. And, you know, does that mean that that's why I had bad relationships in my 30s? I think I had bad relationships my entire life because I was just like unconsciously behaving and driving my relationships down a certain street. And I kept walking out and being like, wow, why did that relationship end so similar to all the other ones? <laughs> because I was involved. <laughs> And it wasn't until I really started to break through my own shit and heal myself that I start to realize that I am the root of all, of all the good, the bad, the ugly, the sad, the glad. I am the root of it all. This has nothing to do with other people. Nothing. It's me. Like other people are doing their thing. Right. I mean, if somebody is like just violently cruel to me, right, no matter how nice I am, they're still wanting to be violently cruel. I get that. But for the sake of this conversation, like, it's me. I'm the one to control my own mind. So if I'm not happy with my outcomes, then it's up to me to shift them, to shift my thoughts and feelings so that my actions provide me an opportunity for a different outcome. You know, some people might say, oh, wow, you know, you got sober and look how lucky you've been You with the podcasts and the books and all this other stuff. Is it luck? Is it hard work? Is it karma? Does it matter if it's, if it's labeled? Look, I mean, time is going to pass regardless. I mean, first and foremost, let's just admit, barring, I mean, I don't know, with the train wrecks and, and the weather balloons, I mean, the world is a little iffy right now and has been for some time, but let's just, let's just assume, let's presuppose, <laughs> let's just assume this to be true, that time is going to continue to pass, right? The world will continue to spin. We will continue to be alive on this planet. Right? You can bust your ass and accomplish stuff, all right, or do you be, or do you want to spend your time acting like you're getting stuff done, and when you're not really, because you can sit there and try to lie to yourself. Your conscious mind can try to lie to yourself all you want, but your sub and unconscious minds—they're not buying what you're selling. They're not. And then when somebody offers you an amazing opportunity, you might be very prone to turning it down because you realize you haven't earned that opportunity or you've seen yourself half-ass things in the past and that's not something you want to half-ass. That's not some way you want to disappoint them. You think, you know what? These people are definitely going to catch on to my half-assery. So I just will say no. I'll, I'll try to play mental gymnastics and justify it to myself and other people. But in reality, that's just more effort than I'm willing to put forward. Effort, it's like, it's going to happen. Time is going to happen. What do you want to create here? 
and I'll, and I'll close up with this, and I say this at the hour and 10-minute mark, but like recently I had, a, I had a break, a really bad habit. There was something that I was doing. I was not happy with my behavior, and I chose very consciously to make the decision to change it. And when I go to make these kind of changes, because I understand the sub-unconscious mind's connection to all of this stuff, right, is I, I, I realize, like, okay, if I'm going to go break a bad habit and I really want to change things, I can't just do it on the conscious level. I have to do it on the sub and the unconscious level as well. And this is why we've been talking about this this whole time. And I got so many of my show notes I skipped over. So many, because I could turn this into two hours, and I'm like, even I have a threshold for how long I think you guys want to hear my voice. Um, <laughs> some of you have told me that you'll listen to back-to-back episodes. I'm like, oh, so you are already binging me, like I'm a Netflix show. That's cool. I love that. Um, but the reason why we went into like that 40-minute diatribe on conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind is I want you to realize that you might be consciously seeking to make changes, but until you start tapping in to the closet and the attic of why you're making these just choices, why these things are fueling you and moving you forward, they're going to continue to direct you. You've got to make the unconscious conscious. You have got to get in there and pull the, the shit out of the attic, lay it out on the floor and say, all right, here we go. Let's get to this. And here's the beauty of it. The more you unpack certain things that are in the closet, it's like, imagine that the closet in the attic is back there. It's like, you've got to clear some things out of the closet sometimes in order to get to the attic. And it's like when I was doing my set list experiment, I was going through all the concerts I went and I could remember. It's like I would remember five, and as soon as I remembered those five, five new ones would show up. But I could not for the life of me have remembered those next five if I hadn't gotten the first five um, on, on paper, on a list, and, and, and saved into a folder. It's like I needed to get those out of the closet to make room for objects from the attic to come move into the closet. And now I've got that little file folder of two, three hundred concerts. There's still hundreds more. I they're just I couldn't remember them all, and I just figure in time I'll, they'll just come to me. Um, you know, I know I've seen over seven hundred live shows. I know I've seen over a thousand bands. That's just what I know. Um, a lot of them were, you know, God, there was hundreds of raves there in Orlando. So I'll never be able to figure all those out. But that's not the point. The point I, I'm trying to make here is that as you start to clear things out of the closet, things in the attic can come down. So the more you're pulling things out of your closet and you're healing them, the more those repressed memories, the more those things that you've been holding on to are able to come out of the attic. With NLP and what I teach people, what I do with my clients is phenomenal because we can jumble the mind, we can confuse the mind, so that which it was holding on to like a fact can be, we can loosen the grip on it. Now all of a sudden we can start to make a different meaning. We can choose a different 126 bits. Right? It's in that choosing of a different 126 bits that so much of the healing can be done. We can shift ourselves from thinking, wow, my dad was an asshole to, wow, he had a really bad childhood. He was doing the best he could with the resources he has. Um, I don't even barely even begin to understand his point of view. You know, how amazing is it that, um, you know, I can be in charge of my mind and change the results I have about the way that man treated me, right? And notice how I just interweaved those three principles that my mom had instilled in me that NLP further, you know, concreted for me. And now I'm able to bring that into the present and say, hey, my stepdad did the best he could based on the resources he had of being a good human, about being a good father. I mean, he was beaten so severely as a child that his 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 uh, brother ran away from home, never to be found again. Right, and so he stuck around and and kept taking the whoopings, and yeah, I didn't get treated best, but you know, it's like okay, I can see why he was prone to that kind of behavior. Right? I can respect his his model of the world, 
right? Spare the rod, spoil the child, right? But he he was of that generation that wanted to get away from that. And now I'm in the generation that doesn't do that anymore. You know, now certainly <laughs> some people would debate whether we need to bring back, you know, the casual spanking here or there. And that's not what this show is going to turn into. But we definitely have seen where we were a much more abusive society to our youth back in the day, how that shifted. For better or for worse is a debate that could take up another whole 15 hours of a podcast. But for some, you'll say, thank God we don't spank anymore. Others who see children you know, running through a grocery store knocking things off the shelf might be saying, that kid needs an ass whooping. And go either way. That's your model of the world. I have no intention of trying to solidify my viewpoint on that or not. I can now understand that my dad was doing the best he could with the resources he had. I can step into his model of the world and say, wow, he came from a a very beat down childhood. He did his best to not treat me the same way. And now I'm in charge of my mind and therefore my results. And I will choose to experience that differently now. What's going on in your unconscious mind, you've attached meanings to so many things and you have no idea, you know, why you, you, you know, like chocolate and, and, and hate pineapples. Like you, you, you may not, that might be so tucked away. You're like, I don't know why I just don't like pineapples. There's a reason something happened. If it's not in the closet, it's in the attic. And this is why again, segueing towards the end of the show that I'm very aware of this conscious, subconscious, unconscious connection. So when I went to go break a bad habit recently, and it's, it's rather per, private and personal and because there's, you know, uh, other people involved um, who may or may not listen to the show and their friends may or may not listen to the show. I'll just digress and not sp- specifically come out and say what that habit is. But for the sake of not having to be cryptic for the last part of this episode, I'll just call it drinking Coca-Cola. We're going to call it just drinking a Coke, right? It's just the first thing that popped in my head. Well, I needed some some example. And I was like, I don't want it to be stuffing my face full of Oreos because I still do that and I love Oreos. But I don't drink a Coca-Cola. So for, for the sake of this portion of the podcast, I'm going to say that I recently broke a bad habit and that was drinking Coke. Just to be clear, it was not drinking Coke. But again, people who listen to the show might be involved and I do try to keep other people's business private as much as I can, unless I've asked them previously to use them as an example. And I did not do that in this case. So here's the process for breaking a, breaking a habit that I utilize. And while it'd be complete when I write this down, I did my best to try to break it up into pieces. Um, but I'm not saying that it's going to be absolutely complete. But if you're noticing that I have jumped from topic to topic to topic. Maybe in the future you'll understand why I'm going to start making these episodes shorter because I could have turned this whole show into four different episodes. How to break a habit is going to be its own episode in the future, but this was something that happened to me recently and I really wanted to make sure I put it into episode 200. So, um, drinking Coca-Cola, bad habit, wanted to kick it. First things first, you have to catch yourself in the act. I had to catch myself in the act of drinking a Coca-Cola. Like literally with my own eyes, I am caught in the act of putting this Coca-Cola up to my mouth and drinking the Coca-Cola, right? It was like, okay, no, 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 no. Do not want to be drinking the Coca-Cola anymore. So I decided right then and there that fuck this, I haven't had enough. I'm just drinking this Coca-Cola. It is time to no longer pursue this behavior, right? In order to do that, you have to step outside of yourself. You have to actually be watching yourself doing the behavior that you no longer want to be doing. I know this could sound a little whatever it might sound like, but I'm telling you this this works. It's it's part of the NLP process, 
right? First, you catch yourself. You were literally, through your own eyes, seeing yourself drink the Coca-Cola. I was seeing this happen. Then I decided right then there, no longer I wanted to do this. I did not want to drink the Coca-Cola anymore. So you, I stepped outside myself, watching myself drink this Coca-Cola, right? To further implant, like, that is not the behavior that I want. But because you step outside yourself, you actually can begin to remove the emotions that were affecting the decision to drink the Coke to begin with. When you're disassociated, dissociated from something, it's when you're watching yourself yourself do it, right? The best way to release negative emotions around a particular behavior is in your own mind's eye. Step outside of yourself, watching yourself do this. I have been practicing this for so long that I can literally be in a conversation with my girlfriend that is getting heated and turning into an argument and I can step outside and it's like in my mind's eye, I can see myself standing like 20 feet away watching us argue. It absolutely helps me stop on a dime instead of yelling back and behaving in a way I don't want to behave. It absolutely allows me to see it. And I, I mean, I can stop myself and I can get myself out of that emotionally triggered state into a calmer, more, um, um, like objective kind of response, right? Something no, objective is not the right word there. Uh, it can just be more present. It can be more grounded by stepping outside of it. So when you go to break this habit, right, you want to step outside of yourself, dissociate from the emotions and watch yourself doing it. Now I was able to look at my behavior of drinking this Coca-Cola and say, that's it. I'm no longer, this is no longer working for me. Right now, I change the picture. Since I'm watching myself do this, I literally can change the way I appear in my own mind's eye of me drinking this Coca-Cola. Right? I can darken the room. I can drain the color out of the room. I can drain the color out of the Coca-Cola can. Right? That's bright red. Right? 50 grams of sugar. I mean, you're talking about you know uh, diabetes waiting. To, it's like diabetes in a can. Right? And so you can I can place the setting of me drinking this Coca-Cola somewhere disgusting. Right now, all of a sudden, I'm doing it like a a landfill with garbage all over me, and you know. This like like walking dead zombies everywhere. I can ugly myself up. Literally in this picture that I created in order to get myself to drop drop stop drinking Coca Cola, was turn myself into like a leper. So I had leprosy, and I have a very distinct picture of what a leper looks like based off of this um, movie that I watched. Um, oh my goodness! I mean, literally it was on the tip of my tongue. It was Dustin Hoffman. It was in it a long time ago. Um, Nope, now I've got to pause. Papillon. Papillon, it was a movie Dustin Hoffman did with somebody else way back in the day where they were like, did some evil stuff and got thrown into all these different kinds of prisons. And it was insane. But at some point, uh, they've come across a leper. And so I can picture what this leper looks like in my head. So now when I don't want to drink Coca-Cola, right, I've darkened the picture, drained the color out of the Coca-Cola can, put myself in a garbage dump with walking dead zombies everywhere, and I've got leprosy, right? It's like literally, I'm telling you what, and again, Coca-Cola is just the, we're just using it as the example so I can keep the actual bad habits secret. Um, is I mean, literally, it was like a switch. Like I went from wanting, you know, it's like Coca-Cola, was just, I was being triggered into the Coca-Cola and now I'm not, you know, and I've, what are we, mid-February? Uh, I think it was like fourth or fifth day of January and it's, it's like, it's off. The emotional triggering, it's done, right? And then step three is come up, coming up with a strategy that's going to snap me out of the emotional trigger that sets off the habit loop to have the Coca-Cola to begin with, right? This is one of the reasons I've introduced you guys to that mantra recently. I am doing this for me. I am doing this for me. 
right? It doesn't matter what the other people in, involved might have been thinking, or I, I may not get the response from them that I want, but I'm, I didn't quit the bad habit. It has a benefit to them. Trust me, they're, they're, they are, you know, ecologically, they're getting a benefit, but, but they're, they're the sub-benefit. The primary benefit was for me to stop doing this habit so I could walk away from this and say, okay, you know what? This is good. This was no longer serving me. It was time to let this go, right? And so I am doing this for me. doesn't matter how anybody else is interpreting it. It's doing this for me. So when you go to break a bad habit, catch yourself in the act, decide right then you're not going to do it by stepping outside yourself, watching yourself perform the behavior, darken it, drain it, place yourself in a setting that disgusts you, ugly yourself up, and then you want to step into the resources that will help you. I love starting off with power sentences and mantras. I am doing this for me. And then I'm like, okay, now what else am I going to do instead? I can't drink the Coca-Cola anymore, right? So... Uh, what I noticed is that uh, I would, if I was, I would be triggered by confusion or frustration about what was going on in my day, what was going on next, what was happening in a conversation, what was happening in an interaction, right? So, but not knowing these, you know, not knowing what to do, there would be some level of confusion. So now I live in this world where it's like, okay, if I feel prone to wanting the Coca Cola, I can get up. I'll, I'll change music. I'm fueled by music. So I can change the music that's playing, go into the office, change the music, snap myself out of it, have something simple to do as like busy work to occupy my brain, right? I might clean up my email inbox, might organize my notes. I might get on chat GBT and talk about whether we live in a black hole or not. We do. Um, and then it comes down to willpower, discipline, habit. When you go to change a habit, right? You've tapped into this unconscious drive for it. What was happening that was unconsciously making me want to perform this habit? Uh, you know, a fear of rejection, a fear of not being lovable, a feeling of not having any self-worth, of being an annoyance to people, of not living up to their expectations. All of these things are playing some level of a role in the drinking of the Coca-Cola. So when you first go to quit something, yes, there's going to be, a, there's going to be some willpower involved because you haven't gotten to the root and unconsciously shifted it yet. But as you begin to start to heal and tap into the reasons why you were triggered to drink the Coca-Cola to begin with, willpower gets replaced by discipline, which is just the day-to-day rigors of doing it, you know, right? It's like discipline is like your rep, was it, uh, I heard recently, uh, your reputation is in your repetition. That's the discipline we're talking about. You are what you repeatedly do. And then that becomes your habit, willpowered into discipline, into habits. All right. And now we, here we are. I'm about 40 some days into this. I'm about 20, 30 days away from it really solidifying as a habit. From there, it should, it should be very much seeped into the unconscious mind. Now that first three, six, nine, 12 months, you'll have to be super aware of it getting triggered again. Like the monsters never really go away. They just get quiet. Um, this is why we don't get to go back to drinking and doing drugs because the monster's there, right? It's just in hibernation like a bear, Right, just because a bear sleeps all winter doesn't mean the bear's not going to wake up super fucking hungry. Right? In fact, it's even more hungry because it hasn't been fed in six months. That's the addiction in us. All right? This is why we don't go back. Right? Now we just create a life that we're not trying to run from, create a life that's worth living, that excites us. Right? I don't always get excited when I've got to go do certain aspects of my job, but I'm excited because overall I know what my job does. It, you know, it fuels me. It's my passion to learn more about myself. It's my purpose to teach people more about themselves. You might be, you know, uh, a janitor at a company that that cleans, you know, 
subway cars, right? And that may not necessarily bring you joy, but what you get to do with that money and the life that it provides you, that can bring you joy. So you could be out there cleaning subway cars at three in the morning and be like, hey, this may not be the best thing, but I can play this certain song. I can listen to this certain podcast. You know what? This brings me joy. And hey, I've got a job that allows me to listen to music at three in the morning with nobody around me. Hell yeah. Like you can find joy in anything if you choose to make meaning joy. You can attach meaning to anything. You just have to choose to make it have that meaning. All right. And then the last step. So this has been a five-step process is future pace, right? This is thinking about it into the future. What will I do in the future that will keep me from starting the habit loop? How will I keep myself so far away from this behavior that it's unimaginable that I ever do it again? Right? I mean, certain behaviors, you know, can be triggered by other people. Right? It's like, you know, are you never going to go into a restaurant again just because you might have to walk by the bar and see liquor? Is that going to trigger you to like run across the street and buy a bottle while everybody's sitting at the dinner table wondering where the hell you disappeared off to? Like we want to be mindful not to throw ourselves back into the deep end of life at the beginning stages of our sobriety. But we also want to be mindful, right? Like be content with your growth day by day with this mindful eye towards who you're, you, who you decide you're achieving yourself toward in the future. You decide who you're achieving yourself toward. Nobody else. Nobody else's limiting beliefs about how many times you've lapsed or relapsed. Nobody's limiting beliefs about your worth or whether you're smart enough or good looking enough or whatever. That None of that matters. None of it matters. What you believe about yourself is what matters. How will you choose to create a life where this old version of you is no longer invited to the party? So just for some clarity on this, I caught myself in the act, right? That's associating into your present state. That's seeing yourself literally doing the behavior you no longer want to do, right? Decide right in there to step outside of yourself, watching yourself do the bad habit, right? You can change the way it, it looks in your mind, darkening it, draining it, putting it somewhere where it's disgusting, ugly yourself up. Then you associate into your powerful resources, right? Get yourself a power sentence. I am doing this for me. This is for me. Right? What are you going to do instead? Find more ways of taking these resources and putting them into your present state. Right? If you find yourself getting confused at work and that's what causes you want to go outside and smoke a cigarette, but when you smoke a cigarette, you want a beer, then when you feel frustrated at work, you've got to stop yourself from getting so frustrated that you immediately get into the habit loop of smoking a cigarette because you know that there comes the beer. Right? So what is something that you could do that's like meaning, you know, like not meaningless, but something that's menial? Like for me, I, I've, I've got five email addresses. There is always one of them that needs to be cleaned up. Doing that for five or 10 minutes can calm me down, get me back into a more focused present state of mind. And then I can get back into what, what you know, solving the problem the, and, and giving it a solution opportunity. Utilizing that willpower right off the bat will create discipline and that will form it into a habit. Right, so once you understand what you're going to do instead, then you future pace and you think out into the future like, okay, if I get triggered to drink this Coca-Cola, I will open up Gmail and I will clean out my, in, my inbox. Cool. And so the next time I get triggered to drink the Coca-Cola, I open up my Gmail. 15 minutes later, I'm feeling I'm back to normal. I go back to the assignment. And you know what's amazing about the sub and unconscious mind? If you give it a chance to think on something while you're doing like a tranced out activity, it will... Honestly, figure it out for you a lot of the times. This is why you have epiphanies in the shower or while you're driving. I always have the best ideas while I'm showering. Yeah, because you're, you're all that all that you're doing in there, that's all subconscious, unconscious movements. 
It's like you can get soap in your eyes and you start to reach around and like your hand just knows right where the towel is, right? You, you, got, you, you got your eyes closed because your face is full of soap and you can just reach for the bottle and you feel the bottle and you know that's the exact bottle you want. That's your subconscious mind. You don't need that information whenever you're at the grocery store, right? You don't need that information whenever you're at a concert, but you get in the shower, there's the information because it was stored in the closet, why you like certain shampoos or conditioners over other, that would be the information stored in the unconscious mind. Why you love Tostitos but hate Doritos. May not, you may not readily know why. You might I have no idea why. I just can't stand Doritos. Right? Well, something is in there, in the unconscious mind, stored in your attic. That's why you don't like Doritos but you love Tostitos. Right? With neuro-linguistic programming, with EMDR, with cognitive behavioral therapy, these are some of the modalities that help you, help you tap into this. This is why I got into this shit so young in my sobriety. Three months in, I was introduced to this and I was like, oh my God, this is it. Right? And I know that this stuff works even more so because just recently with this habit, you know, again, drinking the Coca-Cola, I mean, it was, it was amazing. When I made this decision, stepped outside myself, uglied myself up, drained the color out of it, and really just set an anchor, like no more, no more of this behavior. That was it. I came up with a couple solutions in case I got myself frazzled and got myself all ramped up. Doing the email thing has definitely worked. Then I future paced it, right? Once I knew the email was my solution, if I got flustered, right? You know, get, or, you know, if I'm out and about, you know, out in the real world, I could always open up my phone and uh, look at, you know, Instagram or TikTok, right? Break myself, break myself out of the habit loop. And I taught you all that at the end of the episode 200, one, because it ended up in my show notes. And I thought, well, you know, if I've already gone an hour, why not go an hour and a half? But, you know, two, it's like, this is part of my realization over the last 40 days about how well I have been able to harness the power of my conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind and get them to work in tandem, right? Whenever I started realizing that it was my way of perceiving uh, my friends or my girlfriend and, and certain of their behaviors were upsetting me, and I realized, wow, this is really all on me. This is all my perception. What if I just decided to make a different meaning? What if I just decided to shift it? And, and, to, and to experience it a different way. I mean, why would I pick 126 bits that disempower me when I could pick out 126 bits that empower me and then just continuously seek out as many of those 126 blue paper clips as I possibly can find every single time? And when I catch myself wanting to fall back into my old, you know, um, behaviors, you know, triggered to anger or triggered to frustration, I just stop and say, okay, I'm, I, I'm clearly I'm not making an empowering decision in this moment, right? I'm, I'm coming out this as the victim, or, you know, she's the villain, they're the villain. Oh, who, what's my hero? Well, for the longest time, alcohol was my hero, but for six years, it's no longer been the hero. It's not coming to save me. So what is, right? The gym's not my hero. It can't always be there to save me right? Me, me, my mindset, my freaking mind, the way I think, that's, that gets to be my coach, right? In the, in the empowerment dynamic, there is no victim, villain, and hero. There's creator, coach, and challenger. The world challenges me. The girlfriend challenges me. My finances challenge, challenge me. The mainstream media challenge me. They're not my enemies. I don't need enemies. They're just challengers to the, my mindset, to the way that I'm thinking. Right, I've got coaches. Hopefully, you've got your own team. I've got Team Jesse. 
there's coaches, there's therapists, there's friends, there's information, there's podcasts, there's working out. I mean, all the gym is the gym is part is on Team Jesse. Soda water is on Team Jesse. <laughs> Barry Crumble on Super Bowl Sunday is on Team Jesse. Like, there's a lot of things on Team Jesse. Not, not everybody on Team You has to be a human. Right? Right? Your dog, your cat, my deer in the backyard, they're on Team Jesse. They bring me joy. We're spending like $70 a month buying like five 50-pound bags of deer food. It's like corn in these little protein pellets. They're out there now staring at me right now. They're looking at me through this window. They've eaten all the corn. I've been on this microphone for an hour and a half. It's like past midnight, and they're like, hey, bro, there's no more corn out here. How about you hook it up? <laughs> and this is the baby will come from around the side of the house and like look up in the window and then walk back over. And I know what it's doing because Jen was in the living room the other day and she's like, the deer kept walking out of my, out like past the window and then walking back in front of the window. And I would like, I'd go out there with the cup and then it would walk back. And like, what was it doing? I was, you know, like, it was coming around to my side and looking in the window. <laughs> and then it would leave my window and go over there and look in the living room window at her. I was like, one of you people is about to feed me. And they're on Team Jesse. <laughs> the blue lights in my room, they're on Team Jesse. My trance music and the other cool music I've been listening to lately, Team Jesse, right? My college diploma on my wall, Team Jesse. Like, surround yourself with things that will elicit joy in your life. We're not running from things anymore. We're not allowing the unconscious mind to direct us and calling it fate or karma or destiny or religion or anything else. No, we are seeking out our best self by actively pursuing what it is we've always desired from ourselves. Not every day is going to be great. Some days are 50-50. Some moments We can literally go from joy to anguish in two minutes. But it's those moments of joy. It's the 200th episode. It's my mom's 16th anniversary. It's the deer. It's a delicious glass of ice cold water. It's the the heater in my office that keeps me warm, that allows me not to have to have the heat on in the entire house and rack up a $400 electric bill. It's the stuffed bumblebee in the windowsill next to my mom's ashes. All these things are on Team Jesse. I seek not necessarily to surround myself with, with, that, with things that bring me joy. I seek to find joy in the things that are surrounding me. Oh, that was good. Write that down. I don't think I've ever said that before. I'm not trying to surround myself with things that bring me joy. I seek to find joy in the things that are around me. Even someone being nasty at the grocery store, I can find joy in just being able to say at the very least, thank God that's not me. But two, like, wow, there's somebody having a not great day. You know what? I wish you well, my human beingness. I hope that wherever you go after this, that your day can somehow be a little bit brighter. I can find joy in damn near anything that's around me if I choose to attach that meaning to it. This is all on you. It is all on your mindset. Your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, your unconscious mind, they're all working in tandem. Clean out that closet. Make room for some of those things in the attic. Hit me up. Let's get you into an NLP session. I've got hundreds of people that I've been able to 
help in one-on-one or in the tribe or whatever variation. And if it's not me, it's somebody else out there that might speak to you differently. That might be your person. Whomever it is, find them. Bring them in. Invite them in. Have them come onto your team. We can't do this alone. The opposite of addiction is connection. When you feel the most disconnected is when you need to get up the most. I know depression is a real thing. I know that it absolutely, from some people, desires to have medication. I am not a doctor. I will not say anything about medication because I don't know anything about that. But I was taught a long time ago at the beginning of my sobriety by Kaiser Permanente that when you feel the most depressed, it's often when you are the most disconnected from other people. And it may be a freaking fight just to get out of bed and shower some days. But you've got to reach out. You've got to get out of that couch, stop to stop ruminating on shit in your own mind. Step outside of your mind for a moment. Get in your body. Push yourself a little bit further each and every day until you find yourself outside that front door. It might take weeks to get there. It might take months. But each day, take one more tiny step. And one day you'll be outside. And somebody will smile and they'll wave. Somebody will need your help and you'll offer it. And for that bit of moment, you'll step outside of your conscious mind and all the thoughts around depression, and you'll actually step into a whole different version of you. A version of you that's adventurous and loving and kind and connected and wants all of that. And it's waiting for you. It's If you're not already there, it'll be there. And some days you might have gotten it and tasted it, and the next day you feel like it's a million miles away, but you just you keep, you keep going at it. One day at a time, one step at a time, until it's just you. And then once you've achieved that, your mind will naturally just want to push the bar a little further, a little further, a little further. Like Diane Nyad once said, this is the woman who swam from the from Florida to Cuba, you know, find a way. I had that as a quote on my wall for years. Find a way by Diane Nyad. This woman swam all the way, you know, between that little channel between Florida and Cuba. Stingrays and sharks getting bit, dehydration. She lost like 29 pounds. It was insane. She found a way. Find a way. Whatever it is you seek to achieve and desire from your life, you can find a way. If I can play a role in that, then I am blessed to be on Team U. Thank you so much for 200 episodes. Thank you so much for your messages or for being a part of the tribe or for having taken NLP from me. However you have been involved with this show, Thank you for that. If you want to be more involved, I have given you plenty of opportunities to come find me. Uh, Whatever you're doing out there, bless you for having the courage and the strength to step into a new version of you. Uh, Whatever amount of days, weeks, months, or years you are into your sobriety recovery journey, we all know being, um, you know, on, on that sort of world of alcoholism and drug addiction that this is not easy, but it is absolutely worth it. It is the most delicious tasting thing ever. Smells sweeter than a rose. Tastes better than red velvet cupcakes. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> it's, it's prettier than a sunset over a beautiful ocean. Feels more amazing than the softest, cutest animal you could imagine cuddling with. Sounds beyond sounds of anything that, you know... Jimmy Jerry Garcia or Trey Anastasio could ever play. You know what? So Brian Recovery sounds better than the best 
Armin Van Buren, and Ali and Fila song. <laughs> That's saying a lot. I love you all. I really do. I can't wait to see where the next 200 episodes take us. Um, just, it's been a sheer joy, a sheer joy to have done this for four years now. I can't wait to see where it continues to grow. I love you, mom. Thank you for giving birth to me. Thank you for staying alive in 1984. I wish you hadn't died in 2007, but I hope in 2023, you can look down upon me and just nudge Elvis with your elbow and say, that's my son. You know what? I'll just believe that that's what you're doing. Now that I've seen it in my mind's eye, it's real. And that's that's exactly how I want to end this show. I thank you all very much. Again, I love you deeply. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.